emptied himself. The question is, what was made available to us when Jesus Christ went to the cross? Most people automatically, if they've been around Christianity, Christendom, any amount of time, will spout out salvation. And that's true, and it's beautiful, and we're thankful for that. But it's deeper than just salvation. The cross was a place where a full God emptied himself. I'm going to say that again. The cross was a place where a full God emptied himself. Everything he had in him was emptied out, poured out, and made available to those of us who would believe on him and accept what he's done for us. So, if he emptied himself, what all was in him? What all has been made available? And to answer this question, we have to look at his life and his ministry because even though he was in the form of man, and he looked like a man, there's a big difference between a man and Jesus Christ. Uh, you and I, as mankind, human beings, there can be a difference in who we are and what we do. There's a lot of good people in this room that have done some bad things. And good people can do bad things because there is a difference between what we are and what we do. However, with God, there is no difference between who he is and what he does. There's never, any, uh, there's never any crossover. There's never any um, uh, situation that God gets in where he is not acting out of everything that he is on the inside. So during Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, the things he did revealed what was in him. And when we see what was in him, we can answer the question, what was emptied out, what was poured out and made available? And there's four primary things that Jesus did that reveal what he was carrying, what was on the inside of him. He did these things many times over and over again in different ways. And I want to show them to you in the scripture. Number one, salvation. Number two, deliverance. Number three, prosperity. And number four, healing. I want you to look at them and say it with me. Salvation, Salvation. deliverance, Salvation. prosperity, Salvation. healing. Jesus was full of all that stuff. He was full of salvation, full of deliverance, full of prosperity, full of healing. And I'm talking about before the cross. He was full of these things. It's not like the cross is what made these things happen. God was full of these things. The God-man, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was full of these things before he ever went to the cross. The cross was just the vehicle whereby he emptied all of these things out and made them available to us. In fact, there's one scripture in the Old Testament. It's a prophetic scripture, a messianic scripture, a prophecy about Jesus Christ that, that uniquely just says those four things, salvation, deliverance, prosperity, and healing. Take me to Isaiah 53, 5 in the New Living Translation and watch this scripture. Isaiah 53, 5 in the NLT. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion. That's salvation. 
We were rebellious. We knew to do right. We did wrong anyway, and we deserved to be pierced. But instead of us being pierced, Jesus was pierced for our rebellion. That is salvation. Then it says he was crushed for our sins. Now, the word sins there in the original Hebrew is iniquity, patterns. It's stuff that maybe you don't even want to do, but you're held in a bondage of something. You ever done something you didn't even necessarily want to do? You just did it because you were in a cycle? Nobody over here. Amen. Glory to God. Everyone over here is completely delivered. But, but for those of us that have experienced cycles of sin in our lives that have become a bondage, that second point there is deliverance. Because a bondage and a weight that you carry, something that you can't get out of, is supposed to crush you. But instead of God allowing your own bondages to crush you, God allowed it to crush Jesus. He was crushed for our deliverance. Number three, he was beaten so we could be made whole. That's prosperity. Prosperity is more than money. When people hear prosperity, they think dollar signs, but it's more than that. Prosperity means nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking, whole. That's what the scripture says. He was beaten so we could be whole. And then number four, he was whipped so we could be healed. That's healing. Salvation, deliverance, prosperity, and healing, all in one verse of Scripture describing Jesus. Let's look at each of them together quickly. Number one, salvation. I want to say this again because I want the point to just sit on your heart. Salvation was inside Jesus before he ever went to the cross, and the cross was not the first time he saved someone from their sins. I want you to think about that. The cross was not the first time that somebody that sinned and should have died for their sin were saved by Jesus Christ. Go with me to John chapter 8. I'm in the New King James Version. And look at verse 3. It says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I would have asked them what they were doing there if they caught her in the very. Usually there's not a, well. She was caught in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Verse 6, this they said testing him. The Greek word testing means tempting. This they said testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. Now, they have set, and I must admit, they've set a brilliant trap for Jesus. Because Jesus came on the scene saying, I am here to seek and save that which was lost. This woman is obviously lost. But then Jesus also said that he did not come to do away with the law of Moses. He came to fulfill the law of Moses. So they got him in a trap. Because if he says, well, the law of Moses does say to stone her, so go ahead and stone her. We're going to keep the law. I thought you came to seek and save that which was lost. 
And furthermore, if he says, go ahead and stone her, he'll be killing her for doing something that we would later find out they were all guilty of in the first place. The only difference between her and them is she got caught. But on the other hand, if he says, I want to be, I want to be merciful to her. I want to be kind to her. I want to forgive her. Then they will say, you're a heretic. You violated the law that you said came from your father and that you came from your father. You said God gave Moses the law. You said you came to fulfill the law. And now you're not standing. You're a false prophet. You're a false teacher. You're violating the word of God. So either way he moves, forgive her, they're going to crush him. If he says kill her, they're going to crush him. And so in response to this, Jesus says nothing. Bible says he turned his back on him got in the ground, and with his finger, he started writing in the dirt. Now, everybody wants to know what he wrote, and it's really not a difficult thing to surmise. You have to go back to the theological principle of the law first mentioned, and in Exodus 31, 18, the first mention of the finger of God. Why do we have to look for the finger of God? Because Jesus' finger in the dirt there, that is the finger of God. Jesus is God. So the first mention we have of the finger of God is when he wrote the law in the stone tablets and gave them to Moses. What was Jesus writing on the stone? He was writing the law. This is what you're not supposed to break. And the law came for judgment's sake so that we might be able to judge when we were doing right and when we were doing wrong. Okay. So what was Jesus writing? I believe he was writing all of the sins of the Pharisees that they had committed. Okay. One by one, I believe he was writing their sins. So you want to bring her in here and kill her for breaking a commandment? That's, that's wonderful. Hold on right there. And then he sits down and he writes all of the commandments that they had broken. Because people love to judge you when you're guilty of a sin they didn't commit. But Jesus knows that every one of us are guilty of something. And just because I didn't do what you did and you didn't do what I did doesn't make me better and doesn't make you worse. We're all guilty of something. So Jesus kneels down and he starts writing. And then he stands back up and he says, go ahead and stone her. Let's keep the law. Go ahead and stone her. But uh, just, just do this for me. Let the person that is without sin among you, let them cast the first stone. You can kill her, but let the person that hasn't violated any of these things I wrote down, let them be the first one to cast a stone. And then verse eight says he stooped down and he kept writing on the ground because there was a whole lot of sin on these folks. It was, it was covered up. It was, it was in the closet. It wasn't in the daylight, but there was a whole lot of sin on these folks. And, and side note, whoever's judging you, don't go home and feel bad about yourself when people judge you. Whoever has the nerve to judge you trust me they got a whole lot of mess on them you may not be able to see it you may not be able to smell it they may never tell about it they may keep all the skeletons hidden but they got a whole lot of mess and the bible says in verse 9 look at it verse 9 those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one i like this part Beginning with the oldest, because the older you are, the more years you've had to mess up. 
The older you are, the more sins you've committed because you've been alive longer than other people. The older you are, some, sometimes the more broken you are with your, with your own self because when you're young, you, you mess up and you think, I'll get over this and I'll, I'll leave this behind. But the older you get, you find out no matter what stage you are in, no matter what sin you put behind you, you can put one thing behind you and then something else pop up. You can get the victory over one thing today and next Friday something else pop up. And so it started with the older ones. They started dropping their rocks. And it went all the way down to the younger ones. They started dropping their rocks. And we talk about the story. It's a popular story in the scriptures. But hold on. Do you see what happened? She was surrounded by a group of at least 12 men that had stones in their hands ready to throw them at her head till she stopped moving. And she was in that position because she sinned. But Jesus saved her from her sin. Okay? He saved her from her sin because salvation was in him before the cross. If that level of salvation was in him before the cross, can you imagine the grace the mercy and the love that has been made available to you no matter what you have done, no matter what you are guilty of, no matter what people have said about you, no matter how other people have judged you. Can you imagine if that was his attitude before the cross, that after he emptied himself of that great salvation, how he feels about you now when you come to him and say, Father, I've sinned. Wash me in your blood cleanse me make all things new in my life salvation was just poured out for you now let's look at number two deliverance look at mark 5 verse 2 through 7 it says, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Let me be clear. It was a man who was possessed with a demon. Now, in a minute here, we're going to see in the text something unique about demonic possession. First, I want to draw a line of delineation between demonic oppression and demonic possession. Oppression means to be on the outside of pressing down on and fighting, okay? That's demonic oppression. Many of us have experienced that. Demonic possession is when the enemies that were once on the outside fighting you now get on the inside and start fighting you, and they can literally take over. Sometimes they can take over your movements. Sometimes they can even take over your speech, as it was the case with this man. So we're going to see a conversation here, and the Bible says the man is talking, and, and he was, in a sense, it was the demons talking from the man. And so at one, at one part, you see the man man acting out of his own free will, and then the other part, you see the spirits in the man beginning to act through him. So I want you to understand that distinction. Look at this. It was, he had a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had, had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. Always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse 6, 
When he saw Jesus, this is the man here, his own free will. When he saw Jesus, in spite of the condition that he was in, when he saw Jesus, he ran and worshiped him. I want to tell you something. You can always worship. This man's demon possessed totally has devils on the inside affecting everything in his life. But when he saw Jesus, that little bit of free will he had left, the little bit part of himself that he had left, ran and fell down and started worshiping Jesus. Now look at this. And he cried out with a loud voice. Now this is going to be the demons crying out. He cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. This man is possessed by demon spirits who are tormenting him. But when he runs and starts worshiping Jesus, the presence of Jesus started tormenting the spirits that were tormenting the man. And he tormented the spirit so much that the demon spirits tried to implore the mercy of God. And they said, please, son of God, stop tormenting us. We implore you by God's mercy. Please, God, it's, it's not your character to torment. Please stop tormenting us. This brings up a powerful point. No matter what kind of mess you're into, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, when you start worshiping Jesus Christ, Jesus starts tormenting whatever's been tormenting you. When you start praising Jesus Christ, Jesus starts fighting whatever's been fighting you. When you start lifting up the name above every name, Jesus Christ, Jesus starts warring against what's been warring against you. That's why you ever not, don't ever come to church and not take an opportunity to worship. Don't ever come. I mean, even if you don't like none of the songs, even if the beat's not right, even if the loud, if the sound's too loud, don't ever come to church and not worship. Because while you're worshiping, God is attacking what's been attacking you. Whether it's been attacking you from the inside or attacking you from the outside. Whenever you lift up your hands, open up your mouth and give God praise and worship, God starts fighting whatever has been fighting against you. If there's been some stuff fighting you this week, I dare you to open your mouth. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're holy. Jesus, you're the son of the most high God. Jesus, you are who the gospel says you are. Jesus, you're mighty. Jesus, you're worthy. Jesus, you're holy. Jesus. I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And he said to the man, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked, now Jesus is about to show some stuff here. Uh, I don't have time, but, but Jesus is not like, like in an argument. I said, come out. It's, it's an instant thing. But he wants to teach something and reveal something. Remember, he's got his disciples and he's got an audience of the town people. So he wants to reveal something. So he says, what is your name? Now, in deliverance ministry, they teach you you can't cast a demon out until you make it identify its name, what spirit it is. And that's true for deliverance ministers. That's true for me. But that's not true for Jesus. Jesus can cast anything out, anytime, any way, anywhere, however he wanted to. I bring that up to just say he doesn't have to ask this devil its name. You know? 
but he does. And look what he, look what he reveals and look what he's showing. He says, what is your name? The devil answered legion for we are many. In other words, there's thousands of us. Also, this demon begged him, verse 10, earnestly. I just love that. I love to see a devil begging. <laughs> I love it. Jesus, you're amazing. I love to see the devil begging. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country because demon spirits are regional. They operate in regions, and they like to stay in regions. They operate in families. They like to stay in families. That's why the last 10 generations of your family members have battled the same thing. It's a generational demon that's stuck in the region that wants to replicate the same behaviors over and over again. Granddaddy, daddy, now grandson, now great-grandson, same issues replicating themselves. It's a regional demon. They said, please, please, we don't want to go out of the country. Verse 11, now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, a bunch of pigs. So all the demons begged him. I love that again. All the demons begged him. All the demons begged him. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to get that in your mind. I want you to get the picture in your mind of all these demons bowing down to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and begging and groveling. They begged him saying, please send us into the swine that we may enter them. Verse 13, and at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd, the pigs couldn't take it. They ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. In other words, they committed suicide. Now, Jesus is not placating the devils. I want you to understand that. He's not indulging them. He's not obliging them. When you first read the text, it sounds like, well, Jesus, why would you even give them anything they asked for? They're devils. You know, why, are you, why would you agree to this? Why would you allow this conversation to happen? He wasn't doing it so he could be nice to the devils and give them what they wanted. He was doing it to reveal two things. Number one, 2,000 devils that were so violent, that instantly they drove 2,000 pigs crazy to commit suicide. Devils that powerful and that violent were living inside of. Nobody knows the warfare you're facing. Jesus sent them into the pigs so the disciples could see there had been a lot of people saying a lot of things about this man. Oh, he's crazy. He's insane. He foams at the mouth. He cuts himself. He cries all the time. He screams in the mountains. You know, he lives in the tombs. He's weird. He's got bad habits. Look at his clothes. He's just insane. He's just psycho. We should tie him up. The chains can't hold him. All kind of things that they've said about this man. And they said these things and cast dispersions on his character because they didn't know what he was dealing with on the inside. Nobody knows the warfare you're dealing with on the inside. Nobody knows what it had been costing this man just to stay alive. Those 2,000 devils got in those pigs. The pigs instantly went against their created nature and committed suicide. And it revealed this man, he had lost everything. 
lost his standing in the community. He lost his reputation. He lost his family. He lost his home. He's living in the graveyards. And yet, in spite of all he had been through, the devil had not yet been able to take his life. And I want to tell some of you, people may not understand you, and they may never understand you. They may not sympathize with what you're going through. They may not be able to understand when you try to talk to them, but, but it's a miracle that you're still living. It's a miracle that you're still here. It's a miracle that you've still got your right mind because some of the stuff that you've had to fight, some of the enemies that have come against you would have taken 2,000 pigs and ran them into the sea. Some of the battles that you've been living through would have taken strong people to the nut house, would have taken strong people and led them to put a gun inside their mouth. Some of the things that you have lived through and are living through today, people wouldn't believe it if you told your story. But I'm here to remind you, you're a bona fide miracle. And the fact that you're still living this morning means the grace of God has been keeping you alive. And Jesus let the devils go into the pigs so he could let the disciples know the grace of God has been keeping this man alive. The providence of God has kept him through all these difficult stages and issues and problems. It's the grace that has kept him alive. And then, and then secondly, he did it just, just to reveal that demons still have to have his permission. You didn't hear what I said. Everybody that's been in a spiritual battle, listen to me. Demons still have to go and get his permission. If God has allowed a battle to continue in your life, it's only because he wants you to get the spoils of war. The enemy cannot do anything to you that God does not allow. Demons still need his, his permission. Oh, you ought to clap your hands and give God praise right there. He's a mighty God, ain't he? He's a mighty God, ain't he? What a mighty God we serve. Oh, I feel churchy. What a mighty God we serve. Angels still bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. Mighty, 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 mighty God. Demons still tremble at the sound of his name. Mighty, 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 mighty God. Devil himself gets on his knees when the presence of the Lord comes in. That's why you ought to praise him. That's why you ought to worship him. There's a power that comes on you when you begin to exalt the mighty, 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 mighty. Give him praise, give him praise, give him praise. Give him the fruit of your lips. Give him your hallelujah. Give him your thank you, Jesus. Give him your glory. If you're going to shout, shout now. If you're going to lift your hands, lift them now. If you're going to praise, if you're going to praise,
Drugs tried to take your mind. Abuse tried to take your mind. All that mess you've been in tried to take your mind. Generational curses and generational devils tried to take your mind. But God, who is rich in mercy, broke the shackles off of you and delivered you. Now, I know it's been years ago, and I know you've forgotten all the mess you used to do, but there's a whole lot of us that used to wear a shackle around our neck. There's a whole lot of us that used to be bound in something that our daddy had, and our granddaddy had, and our mama and grandmama had, and since you came to know Jesus, to your surprise, there's been a change. I said there's been a change. The change. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I feel the glory. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Deliverance. He didn't perform a deliverance on the man. He didn't pray for deliverance to come. That's all we can do. Jesus wasn't performing it and he wasn't praying it because it was already. But when he went to the cross, I said when he went to the cross, what was in him? He was ripped open and what was in him started being emptied out. And one of those things was deliverance. You ain't got to be addicted to nothing. You ain't got to be bound by nothing. There ain't a witch that can hurt you. There ain't a warlock that can hex you. There ain't nothing in this world that has the power to keep you bound when Jesus, the deliverer. Oh, God, I feel the glory. I feel the glory. I feel deliverance coming, knocking on somebody's door. If you're bound in the room, give him praise. If you're being fought in the room, give him praise. And just like Jesus came to that man and delivered him, he will. Yes, he will. reverberations of an earthquake in the spirit. I feel like somebody that's been bound up for a long time. I feel like today's your day. I feel like the anointing of the Holy Ghost that comes and rides in when Jesus' name is preached is moving up and down these aisles, going in between the pews. Deliverance!
deliverance from the online gambling that's draining your family's bank account. That thing you don't even want to do and you find yourself doing it. Deliverance from those pills you can't stop taking. There's deliverance for that because he emptied himself. Deliverance for pornography addiction is available because he emptied himself. Deliverance, whatever your particular brand of yoke and chain is. Deliverance from fawning and seeking after the opinions of people, both men and women. Having such a low view of yourself that you chase anybody that'll compliment you. You'll give your time, your life, your money. You'll sacrifice your kids even so you can spend time with somebody just because you have such a low view of yourself and they compliment you. You need deliverance and it's available. Deliverance from demonic oppression, demonic possession, deliverance from depression, deliverance from anxiety, deliverance, a freedom, a wholeness was in Jesus. Deliverance from a quarreling spirit. You make everything a fight. I call the quarreling spirit by name. Quarreling spirit be adjourned. Come out of the people of God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who emptied himself for our deliverance. Gluttony spirit, we call you out in the name of Jesus Christ. Both gluttony of eating and gluttony of drinking. We call you out in the name of Jesus Christ. Be adjourned. Leave this place in the name of Jesus Christ. There have been services like this where people that have been bound up for 30 plus years get free. We've heard testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. Why though? But, 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 but why? Because it was, it was in him. And on the cross, he, he emptied it out. Number three, number three, I told you if you wanted to shout, you should have shouted a few minutes ago. Number three, there's a lot of things we could do right here. We could, we could, we could start, you know, calling stuff out and, and doing certain things. I, I want to focus on Jesus. Number three, prosperity. Go to John chapter two. And uh, look at about verse 1. Pastor Tracy, go minister to that woman. The Lord's delivering her right now. Everybody else just focus on me. It's not a show. It's not a spectacle. Be mature believers. Number three, prosperity. All right. Now, I want you to think about this. Secular people and even Christian people, Okay. Secular people, and even a lot of Christian people, have a preset mindset, um, a paradigm that Jesus was just this poor, financially broke and destitute individual that walked around without two pennies to rub together, and that, you know, somehow Jesus in his life and ministry glorified poverty. 
nothing can be further than the truth. And a lot of the reason is uh, people read the word of God poorly with poor understanding and uh, they don't consider it. So I want for just a few moments to consider the first miracle when Jesus turned water into wine. And um, because that's, I have this in my notes. This is going to upset a lot of people. So just, just brace for it because it's coming at you real hard. One of the four major reasons Jesus died was so that prosperity could be made available to you. I know that bothers a lot of people. So I'm going to say it again just to get on that pinky toe. One of the four major reasons, not the only one, not even the first one. Salvation is the first one. But one of the four major reasons Jesus Christ died and emptied himself was so prosperity could be made available to you. And a lot of people don't consider, they don't consider the prosperity and the flow of prosperity that Jesus operated in in his earthly ministry. So um, John chapter 2 verse 3 says, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone. How many water pots? According to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. How many water pots? How many gallons per? 20 or 30. All right. Jesus says to them, fill the water pots with water. They filled them to the brim. He said, draw some out, take it to the master of the feast. They took it. Master of the feast tasted it. He didn't know where it had came from. Verse 10. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. But you have kept the good wine until now. The Greek says you've kept the best Say it again. You've kept the for last. Okay. So I want you to consider a few things. We're going to do a comparative analysis. Now, when you do a comparative analysis, it's not perfect. We're going to do a comparative analysis regarding some economic things. And when you try to compare economies, you know, this was in year 30 A.D., Okay, because it was at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. His ministry lasted three and a half years, so it would have been year 30 A.D. It's hard to compare 30 A.D. with 2021. But if we do a comparative analysis, we can, uh, we can get close. We, we can find at least what's relative in our time okay, and what the values would have been. Because no matter the economy or the time period, value is always expensive things are always going to be expensive things, no, no matter what time period you're living in. So the, the text says that Jesus turned six containers holding at least 20 gallons apiece of water into the very best wine. Now, in antiquity, I mean, you can go back through the history books and search this all the way through. Wine has always been a commodity, something traded, something bought, something people valued. And the best wine has always been more valuable or expensive. So let's try to look at what this would have been worth. What about our time today, our day today? 
Jesus made the best wine. Well, what is the best wine worth today? According, first of all, what's the best wine? According to Forbes magazine, there's a wine called the Harlan Estate Napa Valley Bordeaux. And uh, it sells online $900 per bottle. Now, I don't know who would spend. I mean, some people do silly things with their stimulus check, but. who would spend $900, but evidently there's a lot of people that do because it's rated number one. It's rated the best. Now, I want you to think about this. It takes five bottles to make a gallon. That means comparatively, that's $4,500 per gallon. There's 20 gallons per pot. There's 20 gallons per pot minimum. That means each pot would have been worth $90,000. Six pots. That means this miracle was valued at $540,000. Okay. Now, what was the problem? How did this mess all start? The problem was this couple had a prosperity problem. They didn't have the money to provide enough for their guests' consumption at their wedding reception. So what problem is Jesus addressing here? He's addressing their lack of provision, their lack of prosperity. And how does he do it? The governor said, everybody's already well drunk. In other words, this feast is almost over, and yet you brought the best wine out. Now, these people have been feasting, partying for days because they had seven-day celebrations back then for weddings. Everybody's about to go home. They just needed enough to finish off the party. What are they going to do? I mean, they're not going to drink $540,000 worth of wine in the last couple of hours of the party. <laughs> Evidently, somebody would, but I'm sorry. You, 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 can't, you can't drink, you know, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. You can't drink 120 gallons worth of, you'll die. So, so what is he doing? Listen, what is he doing? He's finishing off the feast. And they've got all these gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of the best wine. Go sell it and start your life. Now, that may bother some of you. You may have heard that preached 10,000 times and no one ever brought that out. But let me give you an Old Testament precedent to layer the foundation of it. Do you remember another miracle of prosperity when Elijah came in and told the widow, she said, I'm in debt. They've got to take my two sons to jail. And he said, what do you have in the house? She said, just a little bottle of oil. He said, go get as many containers as you can find. God touched that oil. She filled up every container she could borrow. He came back and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. That's basically what Jesus was saying. Go in there and finish your party. And then bride and groom, y'all go and sell it and live. 
How would you, let's say they drink $40,000 worth of that wine. How would you like to start your marriage with a $500,000 miracle from God? It was in him. Prosperity was just. You don't believe me. That's okay. That's okay. John 6. I got more for you. I came, I came today. John 6. Look at verse 4. All right. It says the Passover was near. Strange miracles of prosperity always happen during the Passover. Just side note. Passover was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered, 200 denarii. Everybody say that. 200 denarii. Say it again. 200 denarii. He said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. What are they among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. Verse 11, he took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to the disciples and the people as much as they wanted of the bread and the fish. That's the end of verse 11. Now, let's look at a couple things. Because we read these things that Jesus did. Oh, that's wonderful, Jesus. That's great. Jesus is a miracle worker. And we don't consider the value of things. We're like spoiled children. We think the new pair of tennis shoes just showed up in the closet. We think the new clothes just showed up. We think the Chick-fil-A is free. You know, we never consider the value, what things cost. So let's consider, what, what is the value of this? Well, Philip said, Jesus sees this crowd. There's, there's 5,000 men not counting women and children. If there's one woman and one child, it's a minimum. One woman and one child to each man, it's a minimum of 15,000. Most commentaries say 20 to 25,000 people were there. Jesus says, Philip, where do you want to go and, and buy some food for these people to eat? Philip says, Jesus, all we have in the ministry's treasury. Okay? And you can read about this in Mark if you want to hear that treasury language. He says, all we have in the treasury is 200 denarii, and that's not enough for every single one of these people to have just a little bit, like a bite. So let's look at what a denarii is. Uh, a denarii in Jesus' day was equivalent to the average day's wage. Let's do comparative analysis. If you Google the average day's wage in Texas, it's $12.55 an hour, which means for an eight-hour day, it's $100.04. So comparatively, one denarii is worth $100.04. You, you with me? They've got, in the ministry treasury, I mean, Jesus is walking around with 200 denarii, equivalent $20,008. And the crowd is so big that $20,008 is not enough for everyone in the crowd just to have just a little bit. It's, it's, it's kind of roughly working out to about a dollar a person to feed a full meal. And Philip says, we can't do that. These people have been listening. You preach all day. We can't go get a dollar of food per person and feed all these people. It would just be a little bit. So I want you to think about it. If Jesus would have just tripled the amount, that, that means three items at the dollar value meal. If that's all he did, this miracle would have been valued at $60,012, the miracle of the bread and the fish. But 
But I think Jesus at least gave him a filet of fish. And a filet of fish at McDonald's is $3.79 without the fries and the Coke. Don't ask me how I know. Now, I think he did a lot more than this. I'm trying to be conservative. I think he provided a lot more than this. But I think it was more like a, a Papa Do's poor boy, you know. But, but if it was just a little $3.79 filet of fish, the miracle would have been valued at over $75,000. Okay. And we don't think about that. But you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, that when Jesus Christ emptied himself... Not only did salvation pour out, not only did deliverance pour out, but prosperity for his people poured out of him as well. It was in him. Time will not allow me to tell you of when the disciples didn't have the money to pay their tax. Jesus told them where to go catch a fish and pay all the taxes with one valuable coin. Why? Because prosperity was inside him. And when he emptied himself, it was made available to you. The kingdom of God has principles of tithing and sowing and reaping. And those principles are keys that have been handed to you by your faith in Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, you have God's acceptance to work those principles. There is not a financial problem in this room that is too big for God to solve. I'm going to say that again. Your faith needs it. There's not a financial problem in this room that Jesus Christ does not have the power to solve. We will see debt cancellation this year. We will see savings accounts move to realms they have never moved before this year. We will see people living in apartments today moving into their own house before the end of the year. We will see radical examples of the prosperity of the Lord because it's impossible to focus on Jesus as much as we've been doing and his principles of prosperity not begin to flood in your life. I release the prosperity of Almighty God. I prayed for your salvation. I prayed for your deliverance. And now I ain't shy to tell you, I'm praying for your prosperity. David said, sin now prosperity. Save now and sin now prosperity. In Jesus name, clap your hands, put your hands together, lift up your voice and thank God for prosperity. Prosperity. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel a wave. I feel a wave coming to your business. I feel a wave of clients coming. I feel a wave of people ringing your phone and needing your services. I feel a wave in my spirit. He emptied it, and it's coming to us. Somebody say it. He emptied it, and it's coming to us in the name of Jesus. The Bible said God delights in the prosperity of his people. God delights in the prosperity of his people. God delights in the prosperity. 
But that's why we need salvation, to stand in a place of grace where we can receive it. It's why we need deliverance, to have all of those, uh, you, know, you know, demons are, are, are more than just scary things and, and, and evil things. Sometimes you can have a demon oppressing you from the outside of poor money management. See how I lost everybody in the crowd? Sometimes God could be sending the right books and the right information and the right people for you to connect to to make a shift in your mind and you resist it and you stiff arm it and it's not really even you. It's an enemy is fighting you from achieving that level of financial health and strength. But this is the season, the Passover season, where we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, where he emptied himself, and we examine everything he made available, not just the saving of our soul, not just the deliverance from bondage, but also the prosperity that he died so we could walk in. I release the prosperity of the Lord. I release the anointing of millions in this church. Millions will flow through your business. Millions will flow through your business. It's not just going to be six figures. When you look back over the next few years and you do the accounting, you'll see millions, seven figures. When you look back and you add it up, you will see that it's been millions. Stephen, millions are coming. In fact, there's $1 million connection and idea that goes along with the connection. So you'll make the connection, then an idea will come. It will yield millions to your business. I know you've flowed in millions before, but what you're about to flow in is going to blow your mind. And it's coming because Jesus emptied himself. For Tory Rogers, millions in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're a business owner, lift up your hands. I, Johnny Griffin, millions in the name of Jesus Christ. For your real estate business, for all the property you own, the values increasing, the things going up, we speak millions. For the ideas you have, the business ventures you have, all the stuff you got your hands in, what you put your hands to will grow and prosper in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout millions. Millions for your retirement fund. Millions. 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 Millions in value created for the city. Millions in value created for others. Millions. We started moving in that last year when we gave a million pounds of food away. Yeah. Yeah. And it don't have to be dollars. It can be a million subscribers to your YouTube channel showing the business that you work hard doing and then sharing it across the world. It could be social media followers where God begins to make your name great and build your brand. Millions. David and Sean, millions in the name of Jesus Christ. Millions. Whatever it is, millions, a million copies of that book you're writing sold. Millions. I don't know why you're intimidated to say it. I want you to scream back at me millions when I say it at you. Millions. 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 Millions of people preach to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, God's raising evangelists out of this church. We as a church are going to send homegrown evangelists to other countries to preach crusades. And we're going to see millions one to Jesus Christ. Okay. 
I tell you all the time, your only problem is your ass is too small. You can't come to a big God with a little bitty ask. Look at your neighbor, tell him, put the K on it real good. Your ask is too small. Wesley Edwards, millions. 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 That's what the, that's what the elders said to Rebecca when they saw her. They gathered around her to pray for her. And the Holy Ghost came on those people. And they stretched out their hands to her. And they said, be thou the mother of thousands of millions. And may thy seed possess the gates of them that hate thee. That's what it says in the word. May the Lord your God make you a thousand times more blessed than you already are. What would your account look like if you were a thousand times more blessed? Somebody say millions. Millions. Get comfortable saying it. Get comfortable driving down the street saying it. Millions. Mil I like the way it sounds in my mouth. Millions. 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 It's in the Word. David said, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. How much is all the cattle on a thousand hills? That would be millions. Millions. I'm talking about an anointing of productivity and prosperity hitting you. And you don't hear me. I'm talking, it's flowing right now. I can feel it. I'm talking about an anointing of prosperity hitting you changing the dynamic of what you're seeing right now in your financial life and in the rest of your life as it relates to prosperity, that, that wholeness thing. Because you can have all the money in the world and be sick in your body. You can have all the money in the world and not have peace in your home. You can have all the money in the world and not be able to sleep at night. Wholeness, that's what prosperity is. But you can have it today. You know why? Because this, this was nothing more, nothing more than a place where a full God emptied himself. Number four, last thing he poured out, healing. I don't even have time to go to it, but, but in the gospel of St. Luke, there was a woman who had had an issue of blood. She couldn't stop her flow. She got into her cycle and the cycle wouldn't stop. It never stopped. Some of us have been that way spiritually and mentally. We get into a cycle that should have stopped, but it has never stopped. And for 12 years, you've been going through that thing. She heard Jesus was coming. The Bible said she had spent all of her money on physicians 
and instead of getting better, she grew worse. The Bible says when she heard Jesus was coming that she went out to see him, but there were too many people around him. The crowd was uh, Old Testament word or uh, New Testament, Old King James word, thronging him, which means it was so packed you couldn't even move. The Bible says she got on the ground and started crawling through people's legs to try to get to Jesus. She didn't get to talk to him. He didn't lay hands on her. He didn't pray for her. She didn't even get an audience with him. All she could do was just reach out and grab the back of his robe, the hem of his garment. And the Bible says when that woman with that affliction touched the hem of Jesus' garment, that immediately, not in a process, not in several days, in several weeks, in several months, immediately when she touched his garment, she was made completely whole. He stopped. He stopped. And he said, who touched me? Peter said, Lord, everybody's touching you. We're in a crowd. He said, no, no, no. I just felt healing power go out of me. It went out of him into her because it was first. Do you see it? The job today isn't to preach well and hype you up. The job today is, can you see it? Can you see that all these things, salvation, deliverance, prosperity, and healing, it was just in Jesus. And he went there and emptied it out. So that whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Salvation. So that no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper deliverance. So my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Prosperity. So by his stripes we are healed. Healing. That's That's what we call the full gospel. Not just a gospel of soul salvation. My soul saved, but I'm sick in my body. My soul saved, but I'm broke. My soul saved, but I'm miserable and depressed. My soul saved, but nothing's going right in my life. No, no, no. You, you, you've, taken, you've taken one good thing, and you left a whole lot on the table. Everyone standing, heads bowed, eyes closed. You're in this room today, and you want to connect with the power of the Savior that emptied himself. I want you to come down here right now. If you got something going on in your life and you need prayer for a specific thing, I want you to come down here right now. Elders, come. If you're in this room and you're battling some kind of spiritual thing and you want God to touch you, I want you to come down here right now because the healer is in the room. The deliverer is in the room. The provider, the one who is provision is in the room. And the healer 
the healer, the healer, the healer is here right now. Everybody across this sanctuary, I want you to join me in prayer. Before we pray personally for these that have come for personal ministry, we're going to pray corporately. Everybody lift up your hands and say, Lord Jesus, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you are God. Be my Savior. I believe you died on the cross for me and I believe on the third day you were raised to life by the power of the Father. And today I accept you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness in the name of Jesus Christ. Now give God a praise right where you're standing.